0: All right, we just want to welcome you to our the monthly joint prayer meeting. This is a prayer meeting that we hold every third Saturday of the month. It's open to uh, English-speaking community uh, all over the Seoul area. Uh, it is hosted by the two campuses at New Philadelphia Church, uh, but is by no means uh, intended only for uh, New Philly. It's for uh, all English ministries. So we're glad that uh, you guys are here tonight to join us uh, in prayer. Uh, You know, they say that you can tell how popular Jesus is by looking at who comes to the prayer meetings. And so, uh, you know, we have a good group of people that come out here every single month, no matter who the guest speaker is. Uh, But for this month, uh, not only do we have lots of Jesus and lots of prayer... Uh, but we also have uh, guest speakers that will be ministering uh, to us here tonight. Uh, so I just want to welcome up um, our guest speaker. His name is Stephen Beauchamp, like Bo Jackson, like Beauchamp. And uh, he, uh, used, he was over at uh, Pensacola, Florida, running with the Brownsville Assemblies of God, the Brownsville Revival there back in the uh, late 90s. He was there for about six years. And now he's currently serving at I, IHOP as the uh, as the director of the Lidermist Ministry. So let's uh, show some love for Stephen Beauchamp.
1: Uh, you guys know Rodney Henderson, right? We just have some uh, materials we want to share with you and talk about uh, some resources that we'd like to get in your hands, uh, if possible, and uh, let Rodney share some about those. Uh, the first product I want to sh- share with you, by the way, it's great seeing you guys.
2: And, uh, and we've been having fun the past two, two nights, or last night and t- earlier today. And, uh, but uh, this is Stephen's class at IHOPU. And, uh, and it, he has it on the table back here, and it's called Isaiah 61 Anointing. Okay? And, uh, and, uh, and, man, I feel the anointing right now. What happened, Stephen? And, uh, and by, I just want to, I want to challenge you to, to get this, uh, listen to it in your car, and, uh, and, uh, just, uh, it is good stuff, okay? And, uh, and so I just want to challenge you to grab a hold of this. And Stephen's a great teacher, as you'll find out tonight. Also, I have this, this tape. Uh, it's a CD. It's Calling Forth Burning and Shining Lamps by Mike Bickle. And, uh, and it's just a one CD. Uh, it is incredible. And is, Mike's going through the history of, of prayer, the prayer movement. From Count Zinzendorf to the Catholic Church. And I want you to know that there's a history of building the house of prayer for the nations. I mean, did you know back in 300 AD, there was a prayer movement that lasted 300 years? It was in Ireland. And the power of God was unleashed in what they call the Valley of Angels. And also, there was in, in France. Uh, there was incredible prayer movement. Actually, this there was one priest in France that's, that's talked about here. It's called Bernard of Clairvaux, and Bernard literally picked two of the popes for the Catholic Church. And so, grab a hold of this. This is awesome. Who wants this one? <laughs> and. Um, this, this also, this is Mike Bickle teaching on Song of Solomon. Okay. Now, yeah. it, it, it is incredible. We have them on the table back here. But I need to give this to a man. Okay. Song of Solomon.
0: Uh. <laughs>
2: One of the things the Lord is doing in this hour is, is turn is bringing the first commandment back to first place in our lives. This is a CD on the first commandment and the place of intimacy in this hour and uh, it is incredible, a great teaching that will go straight to the heart. there's power and anointing upon this. okay. This is, this is the seven churches of Revelation. Now listen, this is, this is cool. I've, I've actually taught on the seven churches of, of, of Revelation, but I called it the seven churches of Asia. Because in reality, in the book of Revelation, it's talking about the seven churches of Asia. And, the, and uh, uh, Pastor John Michael, where are you at? You know, you come here and get this, but let me tell you. But, 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 but but what he, what he was talking about and praying about in this hour, he was praying and talking about in this hour, what was what, what Jesus was saying through John to those churches. He was calling them to a place of repentance and he's saying in this, in this teaching is that I like this about you. Nevertheless, I have this against you. But if you'll repent from where you're, you've fallen, I'll restore you and I'll give you a reward. This is what the Lord is saying to His churches in this hour. We have many more teaches, teachings back here. Uh, we basically have only English teachings back here. and If you want some Korean teaching, I have some personal Korean teachings that Seth can actually pull out or get to you in the next couple of days. And... uh But I want to pray for Stephen. Pray for the power and the anointing of God will fall upon him. Amen. So just just extend your hand. Uh, Listen. I have seen the power of God break in upon Stephen's uh, ministry. Are you ready? Okay. Are you ready, Stephen? Oh, come Lord. Come Lord in power. Come Lord in power. Break in. In the name of Jesus. Release an anointing that breaks yokes. Release an Isaiah 61 anointing. Come, Lord, empower. Let every word that comes out of his mouth go like fire into the midst of this group. And may they be healing. May they be life. May there be joy released in abundance.
1: he kept going, I didn't know if I was going to be able to preach. <laughs> I, I'm truly blessed to be here. Uh, I was telling Pastor Christian earlier that uh, I just feel so at home. And just the fire and the flavor of this house and just your hunger and passion, uh, it's just it's contagious. It, it, it'll rub off on you. So if you're just visiting here for the first night, just uh, jump in. Okay, just don't hold back. Let, let your hunger come out for the presence of the Lord. Uh, I am confident that He's going to touch many of you in a very significant way tonight. And uh, it's not about a man. It's about your heart connecting with the God of heaven. And just being open to receive from the Holy Spirit of God. And so just uh, have open hearts and open minds and uh, let the word of the Lord just come into you at a deep level and let it bring change. And, um, you know, I've been in Korea before and there's something I've noticed about the pastors and the ministers. And they're very humble and very meek and full of honor and very gentle. And whenever I have a com- uh, conversation with them, I'm always amazed at just how soft and gentle they speak. And But, you know, something happens when they go to pray. There's like a, there's like a shift, you know, they go from this, oh, very sweet. And then all of a sudden it goes, it gets time to pray and it's like, I'm like, come on, man. I like it. It's good. It's wonderful. So before I begin, uh, let's just have a time of prayer. Let me pray. Sometimes the Lord will just begin to speak prophetically, even before the message, uh, just in a time of prayer. So, so Lord, we just ask right now for you to release the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Uh, Lord, we just ask for new Philadelphia, uh, that you would just open up the heavens over this place. Lord, that you would draw men's hearts unto you. Lord, that this would be a time uh, of revival fire falling for the for birthing your purposes in this city, or that there would be a release of unity in the body of Christ, that this would be a beacon and a lighthouse for a places of restoration and places of reconciliation. And uh, we truly do ask for the hearts of the fathers to be turned to the children, and the children to the fathers, that the dividing walls would come down, And that through the prophetic utterances of this generation and the people whom God is raising up to be voices in this land, that it would actually be bridge building unto the former generation, Uh, that there would be a, a, a connection in the spirit and a divine convergence of the anointings that are on various houses of this city. So, Lord, we just commissioned this house today that this would be a a divine time and a divine season of convergence. Uh, That there would be uh, just the release of the promises of heaven and the prophetic utterances that have been spoken for many years before the very house was built. That there would be the heritage, the culmination of the heritage and the lineage And the prosperity and the seedbeds of prayer and intercession, let it come to fruition in this hour in New Philadelphia. So Lord, I declare my utter dependence upon You today. Lord, let Your Word go forth like arrows piercing the heart. I ask for every ear to be opened in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just lay aside every distraction right now. Lord, we just forget about the person to our right and to our left, and we put our focus on heaven. And we say, Lord, we're going to receive everything that you want to give us tonight. Without fear, without worry or anxiety about what tomorrow may bring. So, Lord, we dial in our hearts right now, and I ask for the anointing to break the yoke. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to move quickly because uh, we want to pray for all of you tonight. Uh, We just want to take the time and just spend as much time as we can praying over you and imparting uh, whatever the Holy Spirit would like to impart to you. And uh, so just get ready. Are you hungry? Okay, so just come ready to receive. And and so many times when I minister uh, and I'm praying for people, a lot of people don't know how to receive. You know, it's like we still are in a place of begging for something from God. You know, you receive from a place of meditation. You know, you dial down your emotions and your thoughts and, and you focus on the throne. Sometimes I tell people to focus on Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5. Some of those verses where it talks about the shining Jasper God and the crystal sea and the golden sea of glass. And and you would just meditate on the host of angels and the 24 elders and just the entire scene that's given to us in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Just stand there before that throne and say, here I am, Father, I receive. You know, we shouldn't be communicating in that time because you're just receiving a gift, right? Right so many people are praying in tongues and begging God to get something. And I'm like, just dial it down and just receive. Like someone's giving you a gift. And so, before my father passed away, he was a Pentecostal minister. And he was in the hospital. And he told me that if I could understand the parable of the sower and the seed then I would understand and comprehend all mysteries. And so I went and I studied the Scriptures and I turned to Mark chapter 4. And that's where Jesus is telling the parable of the sower and the seed. How many of you have heard it before? Okay, you're very familiar with it. And so as I was studying it, I saw in verse 13 of Mark chapter 4, It says the disciples returned to Jesus after He spoke this parable. And they said, Lord, what does this parable mean? Explain it to us. And the Lord said, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand any of the parables? So even Jesus put put the emphasis on this parable as being a foundational parable for us to be able to understand the words and and the revelations that Jesus wants to give us. And so the parable is this, right? It's the the word is being sown into the hearts when you sit under the word of the Lord, right? And there's many types of conditions of the heart uh, in order for you to receive and cultivate that seed. And I find it interesting that the very first parable that Jesus taught his disciples was on spiritual warfare. The dynamics of once you sit under the word of God, the minute you leave, it says Satan will immediately come and try to steal that seat. And what I've seen today is so many people run to and fro to different churches and different conferences and they hear the word. Over and over again. But their hearts have not taken that word and cultivated it through meditation and through prayer and through applying it in their lives. And what they come away with is just more intellectual knowledge. And most of the time they don't even get that. Because they think once they've heard it, they've got it. And then they move on to the next greatest message. And so Jesus said, it's like the word being sown, and, and the enemy's going to try to steal that seed. And if he can't steal it immediately, then it says there will be persecution and affliction. That it falls by the roadside. And so if you begin to cultivate the seed, the word of the Lord, in your life, then you will experience persecution because of the word, right? Isn't that what it says? And so many times, believers, they start to apply the word in their life and they start getting radical and they start getting on fire for God. And all of a sudden, friends and family start to reject them. You know, there's people who don't understand them and they say, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that radical. You know, you can just be a quiet, calm believer in Jesus. You know, what's up with all that fasting and praying and screaming and shouting and devoting hours of the day to the Spirit of God and prayer? They don't understand. But it, what you have to understand is it's the enemy trying to put out your fire. And so if the enemy can't do it through that avenue, then the next step is he's going to get you distracted with materialism. The deceitfulness of riches. Self-preservation. Self-preservation. Did you know that self-preservation will always block the anointing of God? The entire message and teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, when He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the most amazing message ever preached. Did you know the most powerful, amazing message ever preached you can read within 10 minutes? Have you ever thought of that? We preach for hours, right? but the most amazing sermon can be read in 10 minutes. And so what happens is we get distracted with all the cares of life. We get concerned about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and where we're going to live and who we're going to marry. Oh yeah, that's a fresh word, isn't it? And so Jesus is teaching his disciples on the very beginning that, you know, the word is like a seed being sown. And and what I've found in deliverance ministry is there's like three rows in the garden. Your soul is like a garden. There's many references in scripture to your soul being the garden. When you read the song of Solomon, it talks about let the Lord come into his garden. Let the north winds and the south winds blow upon my garden so your soul is like a garden and i believe there's three different rows in that garden and those three different ro- rows are thought patterns one is what we believe about god the second is what we believe about ourselves and the third is what we believe about others all of our thoughts in three different rows either about god about ourselves or about others And so the word of the Lord is sowing seed into those three rows constantly. Sowing seed of who he is. Sowing seed of who you are. And sowing seed about how he feels about others. And so it really does fulfill the two greatest commandments, right? You can find those three rows contained within the two commandments. Fulfilled in this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other is to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, one reproduces thoughts about the other. You have to understand your thoughts about God will actually produce your thoughts about yourself. And your thoughts about yourself will reproduce thoughts about others. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Let's jump over to Genesis chapter 3. I want, to, I want to say something else here. You know, the enemy, Satan, is a counterfeit. So in the same way that the Lord uses His Word to sow like seed into your garden... The enemy sows his own seed, doesn't he? And he sows seeds into those three rows. He's constantly sowing seeds of accusation against the knowledge of God. He's constantly sowing seed against your identity. And he's constantly sowing seed of accusation against others, right? He's the accuser of the brethren. And we see this from the very beginning. And we look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? There's the seed. The enemy is getting the woman to question what God has said. And in verse 2, The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. There it is again. The enemy sowing the seed of questioning the truth of God. And in verse five, it says, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil is trying to get the woman to question God's goodness. From the very beginning, it is the plan of Satan to get you to question God's goodness. And I want to ask you today, what do you believe about God? When you lay your head down at night, and it's just you laying there, what are your thoughts toward God? Did you know that whatever God says about Himself, if you question that, then you're not going to believe what He says about you. So if you have issues or thought patterns that are not in line with the truth of who God is, then when He says something about you, you will not receive it. Now, you may get the information, but I'm talking about cultivating the reality in your life. For instance, there's three eternal identities of a believer. Can anybody name them? Come on, guys. Don't be scared. Three eternal identities. When you get born again, you automatically become these three things. You guys born again? then you should know what they are. I've heard two. There's one more. Very few people know the third one. And this is who you are. How long have you been a Christian? You don't know who you are. Okay, you're a son and daughter, right? You're sons of God. You're the bride of Christ. And the third one, you are priests. Now, I'm going to talk more. I don't, know, I don't know if many of you will be here, but Sunday I'm going to go deeper into your priestly identity. The eternal priesthood. But write this down if you're taking notes. When you think about sonship, it equates authority and dominion. From the very beginning, God wanted to partner with man to exercise dominion over the earth, didn't he? And at the fall of man, we lost that dominion. But Jesus, the new Adam, came and restored dominion, didn't he? As the new Adam. Now, what does dominion mean? That means that we have been given partnership with God to exercise authority over the earth. Jesus came as a son, as the perfect example of what it means to be a son of God on the earth. That means I can walk on water. Look at me, I'm a son of God, I walk on water. That means I can speak to creation and creation will obey me. That's why I can speak to a paralytic. Some of you don't believe in healing. You're so disconnected from the truth of who you even are as a son of God. In Romans chapter 8, it says that, that creation itself is groaning and longing for the revealing of the sons of God. To know who they are, so that we can enter in back to that dominion and exercise partnership over the animals, over the trees, over the mountains. That's why Jesus said... "If." If any of you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea to obey you. That's why Jesus could curse a fig tree and it would wither and die. And that's why Jesus could speak to a paralytic and say, take up your bed and walk. I command the body, the physical creation to line up in the will of God. And the reason we don't see more healing is because we have no clue of our sonship. You were told you were a son of God from the very beginning of your salvation. But you are so disconnected from the reality of what that means. You okay? (laughs) Dominion. Authority. Look, if your father says, go buy me something, and in my name you can buy it, how many of you are going to go to the store and say, hey, my dad said I can buy this? (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, you have the authority of God the Father. Everywhere you go, I've got the name of my Father. We'll talk more about that later. Now, the bride, I want you to write this down, it relates to intimacy and the affections of God. Today, we see so many believers disconnected from the affections of God. That He is a very far distant, disconnected emotionally god stoic and then we pray to him from a distance guys you are his bride you have favor just as esther could come into the courts of the king and have the king extend his scepter and say ask of me whatever you want and i'll give you up to half my kingdom but with god he says i'll give you my entire kingdom Now I have an office in my house, and you can't come into my office without my permission. But my wife can. I mean, my wife puts on my favorite dress, and she puts on her makeup, and she smells good, and she comes in, and she sits on my lap in my office, and I can say you can have whatever you want. She doesn't even have to ask, you know, it's like you can have it. <laughs> Whatever it is, you can have it. Did you know you are so beautiful to him and you have access into his courts and you don't have to say a thing? And he says, you can have it. That's how he feels about you. You have intimacy and you have his affections. You have his complete attention. Do you know who you are? Do you relate to God in that way? You guys are in a season of developing intimacy. You know, we should learn how to pray and enter into intercession from that bridal identity. So the third is the priest. Now, the priesthood represents the worship and the intercession and the function. How many of you are concerned about, am I a pastor? Am I a prophet? Am I an apostle? Am I an evangelist? Am I a prophetic singer? Am I an intercessor? Am I a business person? How many of you have those questions? Let me tell you something. You're a priest. (laughs) Period. You don't need a title. You don't need a business card that says, I'm Pastor John or Apostle Buck. Your function right now is that you have ability to come into the presence of God. You have access into heavenly realms. And from that place you worship and you intercede. You go into the presence of God and you declare the heart of man back to God. And then you hear from God and go out to the people and declare the heart of God to the people. That's your function. Okay? You don't need to understand anything else because you can operate in your priestly function anywhere at any time. So don't get caught up in the labels of religion and the structures of religion that try to define you and put a label on you so that you jockey for position in order for you to feel like you've accomplished something. You're already there. You're already there. You know, you're just looking for the acceptance of man. You already have the acceptance of God. You already have the label of God. You're my son. You're my bride. You're my priest. I've given you access. You don't need anything else. So that's the second seedbed. And if you're not confident in those realities... Then you're going to look circumvently at others. And you're going to compare yourself with others because you're not secure in your own identity. You're going to become jealous. You're going to be skeptical. You're going to reject others because you feel rejected. You're going to isolate yourself because you have trouble interacting socially because of your insecurities. Because you haven't allowed the God of heaven to reveal who He is so that you have faith and truth in the spirit of truth of who God is. And then when He says who you are, you can receive it. But instead, we live our lives disconnected from that reality with anger and with hurts and with pains because all our examples leading up to our salvation have been nothing but painful. All our relationships, all our friendships... All the brokenness and dysfunction in our families lead to us not being able to perceive God in the way that He really is. You know, my personal journey, I got saved out of drug addiction, had a mighty encounter with God. But I still carried a lot of the baggage of the damaged emotions that I had while I was abusing drugs. So I got saved and my spirit was renewed. I was born again, but yet I still had all the emotional dysfunction because I spent years damaging my emotions. And that's why we have the process of sanctification. You're on a journey. And let me tell you something. When you see someone else who's getting touched by the presence of God, or you see someone else who's... Uh, being blessed or in a season of prosperity or manifestation, you need to understand that you're called to discern times and seasons. And that you may be in a different season than the person next to you. And God may be dealing with certain things in you that they're not dealing with with Him. Look, when I got saved, I was so on fire, I was telling everybody about Jesus. I didn't care. I was going into homosexual bars. No, I was going into clubs in the largest city on, on Christmas Eve when the witches and warlocks were there. And I was pouring anointing oil all over myself and walking into the bar. I'm serious. Witches and warlocks cursing me. And I was like, yeah, bring it on. And that's just the way I thought. That's the way I still think. (laughs) And so I was so radical and I had so much zeal, but, you know, I went through Bible college and I I was so on fire and I thought I got everything dealt with. You know, I went to all the inner healing seminars and I went to all the deliverance seminars and then I got married. (laughs) You know, I thought I was God's man of power for the hour. Man, I'm squeaky clean. And then, boom, a whole other layer, layer of my issues came up because I had never allowed anyone that close to me. And so, whenever God is always at work in us on different times, different levels, right? So, don't compare yourself to someone else who may be in that radical, joyful season of salvation or fire or manifestation. You may be in a season where it stinks, man. It's like, I, I feel depressed, I feel angry, I feel... You know, and God is dealing with those issues in your life. So don't get caught up in comparing yourself. Is that okay? So, understanding the knowledge of God. I came through Bible college. And while I was in Bible college, I, I found myself striving and performing to get the approval of God. It's like the only way I felt confident in God is if I had done everything in my spiritual disciplines and then I was good enough for him to use me. And so I went through years of just striving in my flesh, making sure I didn't see anything or didn't do anything that grieved the Holy Spirit and would in any way separate me from his presence. But what I learned is that the Holy Spirit isn't some weak little dove. You know, when you grieve Him, He just, bye, and then just <laughs> flies away. He can handle some stuff. I mean, the Holy Spirit sees all the wickedness in the world at, at all times. I mean, He's not weak. He's an all-consuming fire. And He, he can put up with your failures. Okay, so just understand that his commitment to you is so much greater than you can ever commit to him. You know, and so many people are being defined and allowing their culture to define them rather than allowing God and his word to define them. And we need to allow the culture of heaven to dictate how we live our lives. And even in the face of good tradition, if it contradicts the will of God, or the calling of God on a person's life, then we must come out from among it and be separate. And I know in this culture, there, there are things within a family structure that puts a lot of pressure on children to perform well. And that translates over to our Christian walk. Let me tell you something. Your value and your significance is not based... On how successful you are in this world or this life. Your value and your significance is not based on how well you are successful in education or in business. In the kingdom of heaven, you are already accepted and already successful from the very beginning. You can't do anything to perform well enough to get God to love you more. He doesn't have a grading scale. Okay? Think about this. God saw everything you would ever do before He even chose you. And He still chose you. You don't have to be on a performance treadmill in order to get the favor of God. And many of you, you allow failure to dictate your emotions more than what God says about himself. Do you allow your failures to control your emotions? Uh, Mike Bickle used to say something and it really stuck with me. You know, he said, when you sin, it's like pulling the electrical cord out of electrical socket. And the lights go off. But when you repent, you plug the, the electrical cord back into the socket and the lights come on Immediately. And they're still at the same brightness that they were before you unplugged it. It doesn't take a week. It doesn't take a month. You don't have to fast three days because of your failure. You don't have to pray an extra 10 hours in order to get God's love back upon your life. I used to put myself on probation and some of you put yourself on probation. When you fail, you feel like you have to work through it because that's what you were taught in your family. And some of you, you put yourself on probation. at something God has not told you to do. He's standing there saying, no, no, I love you. I'm ready to embrace you. It's OK. You're working through things. I knew you would do those things. And the way I feel about you has not changed. Do you believe that? Yeah. Do you believe that the minute you fail in sin, he has not changed one bit in how he feels about you? What do you believe about God? Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. And this verse truly liberated me in my perspective about God. You know, most people, they perceive God as either mostly angry or mostly disappointed. You know, it's like, We come to God and you think God's saying, oh, there she is again. There he is again. Or he's some stoic, cold God. I am holier than you. (laughs) What do you want today, you little peon? (laughs) Really? I mean, that's how people perceive God. He's either mostly angry and disappointed. It's like, oh, you did that again. Oh, I just wish you'd stop doing that. Or God's angry and is constantly saying, You can't come near me, you sinful creature. (laughs) So in Isaiah chapter 55, how many of you heard this verse before? It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, (laughs) declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your way. How many of you have thought about that verse and thought that about God? Yes, you're so out there. You're so much higher than me. Your thoughts are so much better than mine. But let's back up a bit. Let's start in verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is what? near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will what have compassion on him for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways you see God doesn't hold grudges what he's talking about is I'm not mad at you Turn from your wicked ways and I will abundantly pardon you. His thoughts. My thoughts aren't like your thoughts. I'm not going to reject you. I will embrace you. I will have compassion on you. I want to forgive you. My ways are not like your ways. You get angry and you reject people. That's not the way I am. I don't see things the way you see them. He is a God who is near, not far off, and he is ready to abundantly pardon those who are in sin. If the wicked man will forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, he will have compassion on you and he will abundantly pardon you. Turn with me. To the book of Micah. Micah. Let me ask you a question. What do you delight in? What do you enjoy doing? I like to play golf. We actually played at Golf Zone while we were here. You hit it into the screen? It was great. You know, some of you like to cook, some of you like to sew, some of you like to do art, some of you like to go shopping. I love to go shopping. I love to shop. You can take me shopping if you want. I'm a size large. No, I'm just kidding. Extra large in Korean. And so how do you feel whenever you're about to do what you enjoy doing? You know, what if someone told you you were about to go on a shopping spree tomorrow with a thousand dollars? Just go, $5,000, $10,000. How do you feel? Let's do this. You know, I couldn't even sleep at night. I'd be tossing and turning thinking about all the shoes I'm going to buy. You know, I always tell this story, and it is pride, I admit it. I got to play golf with KJ Choi last year. And then I got to stay at his house and we hung out and it was just, it was great. And, and before I got to play golf with him, I couldn't sleep. You know, it was like a kid before Christmas, you know, it was like I was going to get all these presents, you know, I was going to get to hang out with KJ Choi. And, uh, the feeling I had was just full of excitement, full of joy. Look in chapter 7, verse 18. Now some translations may read differently. It says, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of His people? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in mercy. He delights in unchanging love. He delights in it. What do you delight in and how do you feel? Imagine the God of heaven, His favorite thing to do is to forgive you. Oh, here she comes again. I get to forgive you. I'm so excited. It's the prodigal son, isn't it? The prodigal son comes home, the father. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that kind of excitement. Don't get scared. I'm sorry. She's like, no, I'm not the prodigal son. (laughs) But honestly, is that the way you view God? When you lay your head down at night, how do you perceive God? Is that the God you run to or is that the God that runs to you? You know, we've we've allowed religion and we've rela- allowed the the spirit of this world, the spirit of antichrist to define who God is. We've allowed broken men and dysfunctional families and dysfunctional fathers to To put standards on us that God never put on us. You are successful because you're a lover of God. I am a lover of God and He loves me, therefore I am successful. From this day forward, whether I graduate from college, whether I go to seminary, whether I become a millionaire, regardless if I have a house with a white picket fence and a German Shepherd dog, (laughs) I'm already successful. And that's the way God sees me. He's not the same as others may paint him to be. Remember in Mo- when Moses was asking the Lord to show me your glory. In Exodus chapter 34, he says, God, I want to know you intimately. I want to know you face to face. And God says, OK, Moses, I'll put my hand over you and I'll let you see my goodness. You know, God could have revealed Himself in any way. But what did God choose to reveal to Moses? You can read it in Exodus chapter 34. Let's read it. It's good. Verse 6, 34, verse 6, it says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord the God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Now, he could have revealed himself in so many other ways. But he says, God, I'm going to, uh, Moses, I'm going to show you My glory, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in loving kindness and truth. I keep loving kindness for thousands. This is who I am. This is who I want you to tell my people I am. And then Jesus comes on the scene, who is the direct direct representation of God, isn't he? Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. He came to declare the name of God. You know, why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because He represents the name of Jesus. Whenever someone uh, is given a name in Scripture, it's who they are and it's their character and it's what they've made up to be. Jesus said, I have declared the name of God to the disciples. Jesus is saying, I have declared the character of God to the people. Jesus revealed the heart of the father. He revealed what it meant to to be a son of God and to have the affections of God. See the children of Israel did not have a proper view of God. They did not have the knowledge of God. When Jesus came speaking to God as his father all the Pharisees were angry. How dare you say you have that close of a relationship with God? And there are going to be people who may get angry at you when you go deep in intimacy. And you start relating to Jesus as a bridegroom. Oh, he's my lover. And people are going to get angry. The religious will get angry. Because they don't have a view of God of being that intimate. Of being that close and and being someone who can. You can trust with all the thoughts and intentions of your life. Turn to John chapter 17. John 17 verse 26. Jesus said, I have made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Could there be a more profound statement in Scripture? The love that the Father has for Jesus. Jesus has prayed that the knowledge of that love would be in you. Not only that, Jesus comes into you. God Himself, His Spirit, comes into you. And through that, we tap into the very emotions of God and how He feels about us. And as we allow God's affections and emotions to heal our hearts then the seeds and the truth of who we are get cultivated. We begin to believe what God says about us. Not just in head knowledge, but the reality. It begins to move the way we live. That is a good litmus test of whether or not you have the truth in you. Has it changed the way you live your life? Do you still live disconnected from God as if He is punishing you? Or if you're on probation? Or if your failures control your life? Or if you allow the forgiveness and the perspective of a forgiving God, a compassionate God, a loving God, to move you into the place of prayer, into a place of obedience? Is your obedience based on fear? Or is your obedience placed in love? Do you obey God because you fear Him? Or do you obey God because He loves you? And you love Him? Fear-based obedience will always get in the way of, of you being in touch with the emotions of God. What do you believe about God? And those three thoughts, the patterns of thought, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about yourself? And how has that changed the way you relate to other people? I want to invite you to stand with me. We talked about how the enemy sows his own seeds. Do you find yourself in agreement with the accusations? Do you constantly hear a voice saying God doesn't love you, that God is not going to provide for you, that you can't prophesy... That you're not going to heal the sick. There's constant bombardment of these voices that are accusing God of His goodness. In the same way that the enemy accused God in the Garden of Eden. Do you find yourself hearing those lies and questioning whether or not God is good? Whether or not He is a compassionate God who's ready to forgive you. Or, what about your thoughts about yourself? Are you in agreement with the thoughts that the enemy has sown, saying that you're ugly, you're no good, you're a failure, you're never going to succeed, you're never going to measure up? And that's the, all the time, that's all you hear is that you haven't been good enough, that you're not good enough, you haven't done well enough. Guys, that is the voice of the enemy. That is the voice of the accuser. That is not the voice of God. And regardless of how much you have heard it throughout your life. And you're just tired of having to perform for somebody. You're tired of having to prove yourself to your family and to your friends and to God. Guys, it's time to deal with it. It's time to put those lies under your feet and let the Spirit of God wash over you with the truth of His love. With the truth of His affections. I believe the Lord wants to break off that shame. He wants to break off that fear of failure. That you would live in confidence. That you would walk in the authority of a son and daughter of God. And you would not allow the culture of this world in Korea to dictate whether or not you are successful. Guys, this is a big thing. I'm not talking about some small demons. I'm talking about principalities that have been set up by the evil one to try to keep you from walking in the truth of your identity. This is something that needs to be waged war against in your personal life. And you take those thoughts captive. What does it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5? We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are pulling down every accusation, every speculation that exalts itself against what? Against what? The knowledge of God. Who He is. How He feels about me. to repent for believing those lies we need to draw a line in the sand and say thus far and no more I'm not going to live my life disconnected from the affections of my father God I want the Holy Spirit to reveal to me how God truly feels that he delights in mercy that he loves to forgive me And His affections have never changed for me. He knows my thoughts. He knows my lying down, my rising up. He's numbered the very hairs of my head. His thoughts toward me are more numerous than the sands of the seashore. He loves me with an everlasting love. And His love is greater than any waters. Many waters cannot quench this love. And regardless of the years of accusations, tonight, the Lord in a moment can break off that deception.